Welcome to The Last Theory, an easy-to-follow exploration of what might be the last theory of physics, Wolfram Physics. I'm Mark Jeffrey, and this is episode 40, How to Find Interesting and Plausible Rules. The Wolfram model allows an infinite number of rules. As I've shown you, some of these rules generate interesting universes that are complex and connected. Some of these rules generate plausible universes that look a little like our own and others go nowhere. In this excerpt from our conversation, I asked Jonathan Gorard how to find rules of Wolfram physics that are both interesting and plausible. So effectively, that's one characteristic of an interesting rule. If a rule is causally invariant, that's very interesting. The consequences for choosing or finding a rule that might correspond to our universe what other characteristics are there of rules that make rules interesting to explore further? That's really interesting. Okay, so that's a very good question, because in a sense there's a sort of tension there, or slight, maybe a slight tension between interestingness and plausibility, right? You can have rules that <laughs> yes. are extremely interesting, that produce very bizarre, weird structures, but are like clearly yeah. not good as models for physics. Yeah. So you want your rules to be interesting enough that they're plausible as physical models, but not so interesting that they are, you know... <laughs> They're clearly not corresponding to our universe. There's a, there's a nice sweet spot in the middle, which is mostly where yeah. we've tended to focus. Although I think there is also, independent of physics, there is obviously, I think, inherent worth in just going and exploring the space of hypergraphy yeah. writing rules for seeing what interesting computational structures you can find. But okay, so in terms of rules that are interesting enough, but not so interesting that they become implausible. So causal invariance is one, absolutely. I mentioned this kind of manifold-like property that's relevant for determining is this a plausible model for a discrete model for a space-time? That's something which yeah. again is relatively easy to determine, although a little bit subtle. Proving that this determination actually works and corresponds with our intuitive notions of manifold likeness took several months of effort. But yeah. basically the idea is so suppose you look at a causal graph for a hypergraphic writing system, and you look at a pair of events in that causal graph that are not causally related, so they're space-like separated. So they correspond to two events that are kind of not interfering with each other. In, in, in the hypergraph, they're, they're kind of, they're spatially separated. Well, there's a notion of distance that you can define purely at the level of the causal graph on space-like separated events. In fact, there are several notions of distance, but one very easy one that you could imagine defining is, I just look at the causal future of those two events, and I look at the causal past of those two events, and I take the minimum of the time-like distances to their, to their causal future and causal past. So basically, I kind of plot out some sort of diamond that the, that the yeah. events are defining, and then I look at like the height of that diamond, or maybe half the height of that diamond. Yeah. And if you think about the geometrical intuition, if you think about the continuum space-time now, so you look at two events in space-time, you look at that they form essentially the there's a kind of there's like a causal cone or two causal cones that they form, one into the future, yeah. one into the past. So they are like on the base of the of that cone. Then clearly, from the height of that cone or from the volume of that cone, you should be able to infer. The, the radius of the code, or the radius of the base. In other words, you should be able to work out how far apart the two events are based on prop certain geometrical properties of that cone. So you can imagine, you can do the same construction with a causal graph. You can just look at two events that are space-like separated, look at their causal history, look at their causal future, find their point of intersection, use that to build a kind of discrete cone, and then use the volume of that cone or the height of the cone or something to infer the, the, the space-like distance between the events. So there's yeah. a notion of space-like distance that exists purely at the level of the causal graph, without you actually having to know the details of the hypergraph. Yeah. Well, there's a theorem, which is actually in my paper on algorithmic causal sets from the end of 2020, which basically says that 
One way you can characterize what it means for a causal graph to be manifold-like or space-time-like is that its notion of space-like distance should correspond to the notion of space-like distance on the hypergraph itself. So in other words, if two events appear more distant in the causal graph with relation to this kind of cone metric, then the places where those events got applied on the hypergraph should have greater hypergraph distance between them, and yeah. vice versa. There should be some monotonic relationship between these two notions of distance. And it turns out that the monotonicity of that relationship is a way that you can characterize how manifold-like a certain hypergraphy writing rule is, or how manifold-like the space-time is that it generates. So you can actually yeah. quantify how close is this Wolfram model rule to generating a truly continuous space-time. If it's, if it's arbitrarily close, then it will become arbitrarily, then that, that, that relationship will be arbitrarily close to being linear. Yeah. That's another slightly more abstract characterization that's really useful for finding rules that are generating things that are plausible space-time models. There are much simpler heuristics that you can use to try and determine the same thing, though. So for instance, one of those is dimension, right? So there's a way... Yeah which I know you've talked about in, in, in the series, there's a way you can, you can very easily determine a kind of approximation to the dimension of a hypergraph or a causal graph by just looking at a discrete ball or a discrete cone in, 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 that, in that graph and looking at how the number of nodes in that cone or that ball grows with, the, with its radius or its, or its size and then looking at the exponent in that scaling relation. That exponent gives you some approximation to, to dimension. And then you can start to look at things... Okay, so for instance, there's a class of hypergraphy writing rules that give hypergraphs and or causal graphs where the dimension diverges to infinity, right? That's yes. clearly not <laughs> going to be good for a model of physics. Or there are others where it, you know, it converges to being one-dimensional or two-dimensional or something. There yeah. are others which are also interesting, but again, maybe not plausible as models of physics, which converge to being like 2.37-dimensional or something. Yes. That's probably too far away from three dimensions to be useful as a model of physics. But it's, you know, again, one thing that the Wolfram model allows us to do in a, in a way that conventional physical formalisms don't allow us to do is to really investigate questions about what it means to have, a say, a gravitational theory in a fractional number of space-time dimensions. That's not something which you really have the tools to address with conventional methods of differential geometry. Yeah. But, you know, suddenly if you've got a discrete data structure, you can, you can ask questions about, like, you know, what, what do the Einstein equations look like in 5.3 dimensions? It's yeah. A, it's, a, it's a question that suddenly becomes well-posed. But that's another thing that we, we, we use as a filter is, What's the dimension doing? Is it blowing? Is it obviously blowing up to infinity? Is it obviously converging to one? Is it converging to some finite but sort of clearly fractional you know, dimension that's not close to three or yeah. four or whatever? Those are, those are things we can look at. We can look at things like behavior of the curvature. We can look at behavior of other kind of continuum functions. There are more refined conditions we can look at. There are certain classes of discrete differential operators you can define on hypergraphs, like the discrete Laplacian and things. And they can also give you kind of characterizations of how close is this hypergraph to being manifold-like. And again, we can truncate searches by looking at, for instance, you can define this discrete operator that's really just a kind of big matrix on the hypergraph. And then you can look at the eigenvalues of that matrix. You can look at its discrete spectrum. And again, if the, if the hypergraph is, is manifold-like or is going to converge to something manifold-like, then there are theorems, there are linear algebraic theorems that tell you, or functional analytic theorems that tell you how those eigenvalues should behave, how the spectrum should behave if, if it's close to being a manifold. And again, we can kind of, we can, we can discard rules where the, where the eigenstructure is really weird and differs a lot from what we'd expect it to be if it were a good approximation to a continuous spacetime. There are lots of things like that. I mean, we probably have a yeah. list of maybe 20, 25 filters that in principle we can use. Thanks for listening to The Last Theory. Join me for fresh insights into Wolfram physics every other week. Subscribe to the free newsletter, podcast or YouTube channel at lasttheory.com. 
After all, this might be the most fundamental scientific breakthrough of our time.